hello again and welcome back to the Creative Careers in Medicine podcast. I'm Andrew Bracey. In this series, we pick the brains of some fascinating doctors who forge their own paths in and alongside medicine. We hear their perspectives, their stories, their experiences, the lessons they've learned along the way, and they share their advice that they have for doctors who are looking to diversify or switch direction in their own careers. This is our third episode for 2021. My guest in this episode is Associate Professor Jane Munro. As some of you may already be aware, in March last year, as the COVID-19 pandemic was beginning to take hold in Australia, uh, Jane was obviously watching it wreak havoc uh, on the health systems and her fellow clinicians in other countries. And seeing what was on its way here, Jane put out a call to her colleagues asking them how they could help each other in proposing a pandemic kindness network. As you'll hear in this chat in just a matter of days, that's how the pandemic kindness movement was born. Jane talks about the frustration and the anger she felt at times that in part fueled her drive to make the movement a reality, but she also talks about the need to follow your own heart and values and how that ultimately led to the serendipity of her being already focusing her time and passion on a field like Doctor's Health in the lead up to what turned out to be a time in which Doctor's Health and well-being has arguably never been more important. So without any further ado, I do hope you enjoy my interview with Associate Professor Jane Munro. Associate Professor Jane Munro, thank you so much for joining the CCIM podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely delighted to be here. <laughs> um, thank you, especially it's the end of a long day um, for you to be talking to us. Um, on that topic, like, so to give a bit of context for our listeners, you're a um, rheumatologist at the Royal Children's Hospital in Melbourne. Can you talk a, bit, a little about your role there? Because you're also um, involved in a lot of research. What, what does a typical week look like for you? Um, or perhaps I should say, what, what did it used to look like for you? Um, before COVID-19, if you can recall that sort of simpler time. Yeah, so I uh, I am a paediatric rheumatologist at the Children's Hospital. I've been a consultant there since 2005 and I've just stepped down in December last year as head of department where I was head of department for nearly 10 years um, I, since 2011. Um, I've, uh, I'm a researcher there at the Murdoch and lead a research program at the Murdoch Children's Research Institute, particularly in juvenile arthritis genetics research and a program that is linked nationally uh, with a number of the paediatric hospitals, as well as some pain research and uh, into children and uh, and the teaching, obviously. And I own a, um, a, a private practice with uh, three other female pedi- general paediatricians, uh, so at the Victor One Children's Clinic. So I'm a business owner with like nearly 30 clinicians that work at our wow. practice, paediatricians. So that started nearly eight years ago. Uh, and I am on a couple of boards and other things. So I always, I, I did find when I um, found um, CCIM that I was like, oh, this is my spiritual home. There's people with fingers in lots of pies. So my typical week was um, prior to the pandemic was I was doing 21 weeks of ward service a year for the 15 years before um, and that was very tiring progressively because the wards were getting very busy 
and uh, I've just changed. We've been able to get some extra resources, and I've just this year gone down to one in four. So that is an incredible difference in my life. Um, but it was, I mean, I love the work I do. Um, and so I was uh, doing a lot of ward service with kids with you know, really interesting inflammatory rheumatic disease, but also I've got a really interesting chronic pain. So a lot of my outpatient work was um, young people with chronic pain and, and non-inflammatory disease. And I did um, between three and three and six outpatient clinics a week uh, and I did a lot of teaching and I would often have fingers in lots of different pies depending on what I was doing uh, and what year it was. But that was particularly in the three or four years leading up to COVID, I got progressively really interested uh, in clinician uh, wellbeing and doctor's health. And that merged um, incredibly well, obviously, leading into the pandemic yeah. with um, with the needs of, of healthcare workers, which I guess we'll talk about. Um, my other hats are as a mum. I've got three um, kids who are um, 15, 13 and 11. Uh, and and my husband's a doctor. I'm a gastroenterologist. Um, and so we've got a, you know, a, a little gang here that keep us busy but happy. And uh, my dad's got early onset dementia, so I've spent a lot of time helping look after him and, and learning about the uh, trickiness of age, yeah. uh, age care and dementia has been the past few years. So um, people who know me know I've got pretty high energy levels and, and I like, I'm very curious. <laughs> um, and that doesn't mean that everyone needs to do that, but I'm one of these people that um, likes, you know, is interested in things and curious. And yeah. in particular, I really like meeting new people and having close connections with the people that I love and the relationships I have. So for me as a 10 out of 10 extrovert, um, being connected and busy with things that, you know, with the clinical work, but also other things is, is energizing. One of the things that you, I just want to pick up on is obviously, because it's sort of part of the theme of what we're talking about today, um, which we'll get to with the, the um, pandemic kindness movement, but, you mentioned that, that doctors' health is something you have had been sort of had been a growing focus for you. What what was driving that? What what had sort of you know sparked your interest and and, and made that sort of front and centre for you in, in the lead, in, the, in that time leading up to twenty twenty? Now we all come from our past experiences in many ways, don't we? I was, you know, I, I had juvenile arthritis as a child for many years, and fortunately went to remission in my teenage years, and um, that clearly is very you know, reading to that very psychiatrically that I ended up as head of rheumatology at the Children's Hospital, you know, um, <laughs> three decades hence. But uh, uh, it was very powerful for patients and their families. Uh, I, My mum was also a doctor and she was um, really involved in uh, workers' rights in particular and, and workers' health and uh, occupational physician. Um, and I was very passionate about... Um, uh, uh, looking after colleagues, and I did her medical typing actually through med school. So I used to see that and hear it, and she would advocate strongly and talk about that and about social justice. And so she has a very big heart. So um, I came with that influence, and then I was the first part time chief resident of the children's in, I think it was 2002. Um, and that influenced me because we were able to initiate a lot of really great programs. There were some fantastic senior medical staff interested in that role at the hospital um, and it meant that I was interested in really early on in my career um, prior to being a consultant about looking after colleagues and um, what programs were there. 
But then in 2015-16, I had a, a close friend um, that I'd been all the way through medical school with who um, became really unwell and um, suicidal. Um, and when that happened, it just shone a massive light on the cracks in the system that uh, myself and several colleagues and his mates were looking at, at after him. But at that time, I realised there was a real gap in knowledge. You know, I was a head of department at a major tertiary hospital and when I was asking about all the heads of the department, no one really knew where they were going to access their healthcare for their colleagues or what to ask. And was there this issue with mandatory reporting? No, but they didn't know that. And then I went to all the executive and I got on this mission and I actually nerded it up like the biggest girl nerd I was. And I learned all the literature. I could have done a PhD on, on clinician wellbeing um, in the three months after it. Uh, and I was finishing the 12th subject of 12 in a master's in health service management at that point. And not once had clinician wellbeing or staff wellbeing. And actually, I'm going to say now with the pandemic, bloody hell, not none of the OHS or any of those kind of things around <laughs> any of the regulations around looking after um, staff from the perspective of that in any of those subjects. So that's not okay with me. And um, and so, but at the time, I was like, well, that's not okay. So I rang around HR departments and other things. And so I got involved, got very passionate and realized we've got a you know, cultural issue in medicine. We've got a knowledge-based issue. We've got, we've got to transform healthcare culture. And I realized that my training uh, in organizational change with my PhD um, and looking at um, worked in the quality unit. I've come from, you know, a whole lot of science background um, and research and I thought I'm really interested in healthcare culture change. Maybe this is a good opportunity to bring this lens to it and look at trying to transform healthcare culture and with the clinician wellbeing. And I'm really interested in kindness in healthcare and I have great mentors with Kathy Crock at the Children's Hospital with Gathering Kindness and have subsequently met Mary Freer with Compassion Revolution and so inspired by both of them. So that's how that came about. And part of me is I'm a super connector, as many of the people in CCI are. <laughs> and I meant that it was totally putting the fire under my feet and loving that, that yeah. I got to, um, uh, I should say fire in my belly probably rather than my feet, that I got to meet um, a gazillion people around Australia. So then I, I did a Churchill Fellowship in 2003. I went to Churchill Fellowship in Pediatric Pain. And I'm now on the national board of that. But we get to see just the best of humanity in Australia each year from a walk of life applying for those Churchill Fellowships. And what I basically did is put myself through the equivalent of a Churchill Fellowship by meeting people. And every time I went on a conference overseas, I'll be going to gather people in the clinician wellbeing space and doctor's health space and meet them. Or if I was coming to Australia, I'd have them dinner or gather people to meet them over a two year period. So I have felt like I've really connected and learned yeah. over the past two or four years. So taking that into. We start, obviously we've touched on it already, but the start of 2020. I just want to quickly read a little bit of a passage that you you, you wrote about this period and, and what it obviously what it led to, which is why we're talking today, which is the pandemic kindness movement. You 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 wrote at the start of last year, or about the start of last year. You said that there were there were long days filled with the moving moving to telehealth, physically altering our clinics helping staff to work off-site, changing practices in theatres, pivoting learning at webinars until all times of the day and night. It was an exhausting, heady time of rapid change and innovation, a time of huge collaboration where bureaucracy actually asked, how can we help, and often let clinicians lead the way. Resources were made available, changes occurred quickly, but always on a background of uncertainty and imperfect systems. I want to ask you about this period particularly and what it felt like 
um, in a minute more generally, but one of the things that really stuck out to me immediately when we were reading this passage in this article you wrote for the, the Medical Republic, if everyone wants to, to track it down, it's quite a good read, um, was that you, you talk about the, your description about the way that the system was skewed, the idea that clinicians were finally being allowed to lead the way and being given the resources to do the job the way that they would want to be doing it, you know, the best possible job under the extremely difficult circumstances. Um, what what was that shift like um, in, in real time as a, you know as a clinician at the at the coalface? It will ne- it probably never happen again. And there are many of us that talk about that sort of eight week period as free. You know, it was unbelievably anxiety provoking, and people were talking about writing up their wills and looking at Italy and Bergamo and New York. And many of us had colleagues and friends overseas, and it was very distressing for for many people and myself included. But it was also incredible uh, if you're someone that copes well with change mm. and had the ability to um, innovate and drive that and were, and were brought in a, into it. Because part of the issue I will highlight is that some people were not and that was difficult for people that were excluded. Uh, but the ability in, in many health centres, uh, and I'm going to talk outside in community and private practice is another, another setting, but in many hospitals, they just had to get stuff done. You want a wall up? We're getting a wall up. What do you need? You need to open a clinic, clinic in 48 hours. What resources do you need? You need nurses down there done. How much? Don't worry about the salaries. Get it done. You know, there's not five, eight months of five rounds of business cases with the front of your forehead yeah. slapped and banging it against the wall of the same revision that it's sitting on the desk for six weeks. Now, of course, we have to have checks and balances and there's governance for an appropriate process and we all know that that has to happen. But the slowness of bureaucracy and the problems with this, um, it was it was a heady time. I use the word heady very much. It was like that. And we knew that because we, we saw this thing coming, you know, it's like the yeah. vaccine coming, multiple vaccines in 12 months. The collaboration between everyone was intense, focused on one problem. We have to protect our patients. We have to protect our staff. We need to protect Australia. Get on with it. What do we need to do? And I can tell you that Twitter and people that were socially connected uh, and, and able to stay up light and connect and email everyone they knew in their little black book equivalent, you know, around the world. So, you know, I'm on the pain community, the room community, the clinician wellbeing, the pediatric community, email everyone, work out where, where we could, we needed to find solutions for our hospital. Um, being LinkedIn, do you want to come to the, you know, the 1am ICU to learn about this? Yes, I do. Great. Just find the information and see if we could find solutions if it was going to hit our shores. And that was incredible, and it meant that we could translate that out. That weekend in March, uh, myself and two other private practice owners have said, you know, in paediatrics, geez, how are we going to do this for our private practices in paediatrics? You know, there's no guide for this. No one, the government gave no guides. There was no guides. What are we going to do? And we set up a WhatsApp group, and that expanded within seven days. They have 120 private practice um, owners of um, practitioners, paediatricians, and that has been the most incredible sense of camaraderie and community, but particularly knowledge and safety that um, developed over that year for Victoria. Mm-hmm. And we were able to, um, because things were changing so quickly, as many private practice owners know, that was incredible. So uh, it meant that uh, there were many settings where in, there was information void and people had to innovate on their own. Uh, but in the setting where there's big bureaucracies, I think in the main, it was very, very helpful or it meant people turned a blind eye. So there were departments where they said, we want to get, you know, X, Y, and Z equipment. And rather than the usual processes where they might have to go through certain processes, in those first couple of months, people let them do it. It was good. 
So, I mean, obviously, you, you're very much describing a, a situation in which, you know, and, and as you've described yourself already, you're someone who likes to, to take, you know, the ball by the horns and, and really dive in and, and, and take charge. Where, when, when, you, when you feel like something needs to be done in a situation like this, obviously something had to be. Was there a sense that, you know, that there was a bit of a vacuum, that you were having to, I mean, that seems to be what you're describing, that, that, that you really did have to be taking matters into your own hands here? Um, it depended on the setting, you know, so it, it, depending where you were in Australia, depending on the hospital, depending on the state government, depending, you know, um, certainly in private practice, there were gaps everywhere, as many GPs would attest, and certainly in private practice settings where the allied health field practice, that was very, very difficult. Um, you know, I think uh, there is no doubt in my mind that we were not pandemic fit. We were not prepared from a public health perspective. And depending on the state, we were under-resourced in Victoria and in many places we were, Australia was not ready. And I have a slide now in my talks where I get a little bit angry and fussy to say, you know what, let's not forget the healthcare workers, this is bollocks, you know, SARS happened how many years ago, the countries that remembered that and kept prepared all and, and made sure. We are, how are we not prepared? So we need to remember this because once COVID is gone, hopefully it's been so extraordinary around the world we won't, but we need to to accept that COVID's airborne, we need to protect our workers appropriately, we're still very vulnerable, we need to make sure, like I cannot believe that there were um, executives and boards and and senior governance that had not read the Canadian SARS Commission final report by June last year. They should have read it to be in a board or an executive position. Uh, that was out there and so clear. I'm reading that, Chapter 8, and it's just like goosebumps about an aerosol transmission virus. Like, we should have had our healthcare system ready. They should know what the precautionary principle is, and we should have the hierarchy of hazard control in our workplace. We have all of these things that should, that we, by legislation, should protect our workers uh, and keep updating how we keep our workers safe and also psychologically safe. They feel safe. And we should make sure that we know as workers what we should expect from our health service. So they're the things that we must not forget in five years or 10 years, that we make sure that all of Australia is absolutely safe from whatever type of pandemic or other sort of risk that we should expect healthcare workers might be exposed to. So in amongst all of that, you obviously um, took... That 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 mantle with with um, collaborating with some of your colleagues to to help set up pandemic kindness movement. What was the process from from that point of you know frustration and concern? I guess um, overriding concern for your for your colleagues' well being um, and the needs that you saw coming down the train, you know, coming down the line, well ahead of um, the, the, the 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 storm. How do you get? So, what was the what was the yeah. process like? Can you? So of- we were sitting there on the Saturday, the fourteenth of March last year. It was a long weekend, and we could see what was happening. You know, Twitter was live with it. The wellbeing community was alive with it. A number of WhatsApp groups around Australia and ID physicians and internationally, but particularly in Australia, we could see what was coming, and we could see the Grand Prix was coming in Melbourne. You know, in ten days, and it was at that stage supposed to be on it, literally onto the morning. Um, but 10 days before, and um, there was still events that were open, and it was um, a big rowing regatta that I was supposed to be at that weekend that just had been cancelled, um, which is a big Victorian event, and uh, events, events were just starting to be cancelled in Victoria and Melbourne, 
and I was talking with the, some of the, if you like, some of the senior medical staff that were leaders of the RCH in a small WhatsApp group, which one of them renamed it Pandemic Kindness. They're saying, what should we call this group? And they just said Pandemic Kindness. And a number of you will know them, Eric Levi, Carrie Collier, and Catherine Crock. And we were just tagging back, well, how are we going to support staff? This is looking shit. What are we going to do to support the team this year? Everyone's losing it. People are freaking out. So-and-so's gone on sick leave. They're worried about their immunosuppressed partner. You know, like we were just, yeah. it was a chit-chat. And I was like, you know what? Look what's happening. I'm just looking at these photos of Wuhan and New York, and they are in their peak, their yeah. crap PPE, and they're asleep under chairs on office. They're asleep on office chairs. Are you for real? They're not even getting food delivered, some of them. Like, we're going to do better than that. We've got this, like, two-month lead-in. Mm. We're a well-resourced country. We're a freaking island, for one thing, but we're a well-resourced country. We cannot have the bottom of Maslow's not organised. Like, this is bonkers. So we've got to be able to do better. So I just put this post out on LinkedIn and Twitter and in Facebook on like on, on every doctor's Facebook group because I stopped them all many, many years ago to see what the lay of the land was the doctors held. And and I'm pretty active, to be fair, on yes. many. But um, uh, I put this post out and you know what? I woke up the next morning. Just basically said, pandemic kindness Australia, can we do it? You know, should we should we just try and see if we can look after our healthcare workers? Who's in? It was a pretty, the post was still there. And I woke up to like 700 replies and there were just volunteers and there were hundreds of volunteers from psychiatry registrars and psychiatrists, from psychologists in particular. So the mental health support yeah. was incredible. And that actually many of them went on to the hand-in-hand project that Tani Brisbane has led at a council. Um, then we had this incredible support from politicians, Melbourneian of the Year, um, Many, many medical leaders around Australia, um, philanthropists, donors, toiletry owners, mattress owners, like just you can name it, it was there. And I was like, whoa, that was <laughs> unexpected. What yeah. do I do with that? You know? Um, well, that was, that was kind of my next question. I mean, what, what do you do with that when you get that kind of because completely, uh, I mean, you, you call it a tsunami, but <laughs> how do you, it really actually, was. what do you do with it? So I was there like trying to reply and going, do I reply? Putting out groups trying to reply. So, um, it was one of those spotting the moments where Tracy Kay, who was um, an acting director of the Agency for Clinical Innovation at the time, had been also one of one of my other WhatsApp groups that she'd been a Churchill Fellow. We'd been connected over a couple of years. She'd designed long lives, healthy workplaces from an aesthetic um, uh, department around clinician wellbeing. She'd gone and done the chief wellbeing course um, in Stanford the year before and I'd had to pull out I couldn't go so I was right. going to be doing it in the COVID year in 2020 so she I'm supposed to you know we've stayed in touch because I'm supposed to go on that course there anyway she she wrote to me because she'd seen it she said I reckon we might be able to do something because we've had to put all of our quality improvement programs in New South Wales because of COVID and I've got all these staff I reckon I could pitch this and we could do look we've been talking about supporting our whole New South Wales health workforce this could work and so just over 48 hours, it all came together and we had this idea of Pandemic Kindness Australia. We pulled together a team of leads um, that were really experienced around workforce wellbeing, uh, which is incredible. And that meant that we had these incredibly experienced people that took, and in the end, it formed that they took each slice of the, if you like, of the Maslow and then one down the side to leadership. And it meant that we, we worked on that and, and how amazing. And so we pulled together then a team of people that were multidisciplinary that had expertise in uh, in you know, doctor's health or clinician wellbeing or mental health, and they all formed and pulled whatever resources were around the world at the time that were excellent. Because you can remember, although every website now and every hospital has something on it, 
now, back in March, that wasn't there. And so things like how to decontaminate yourself after shifts, how to fatigue management, how to sleep when you're so anxious, um, you know, just so many different resources. And we pulled all them in one place. And that was fantastic. And working with them was just amazing. We've continued to have um, initially weekly meetings and now fortnightly meetings. Yeah. Uh, and and, and the aim of that, we had lots of different potential other plans if the waves extended. So there was lots of other sort of, you know, bigger things if we needed to support workforce that was really going under, uh, as well as other collaborations. But as things evolved, um, many organisations stepped up or extended, you know, their work, which was great. Uh, and we didn't necessarily need to do it. But it was just, um, that's where it came from. And, and it is very much now thinking about how we change healthcare culture and spread kindness and yeah. support the work of what, you know, where the gaps are. Well, I mean, it, it, it is phenomenal to, to think that, that this didn't exist and was set up in such a short space of time. Like there was obviously a, a, a very broad um, willingness to, you know, and, and desire for, for something like this when it happened so quickly and everyone dived straight in. Obviously it was sort of a no-brainer for everyone. What? Well, the hits were incredible. Like, yeah. and, and, and we mapped them each week from um, by state, yeah. and it was incredible where you could see the lockdowns or announcements or outbreaks where they just go, blah, 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 and people would be moving up the Maslow's, like start going yeah. up, you know, safety, love and belonging, up a bit, contribution, and they just smash straight back down the basic needs again, you know, yeah. and start accessing just they wanted to have fatigue management or the hangry trolley, you know, for ICU, and, you know, not for ICU for emergency or for the area. People go back to the basics when um, when stuff's going down, and I think we need to know how to do that well. What was the most surprising thing amongst all that? I mean, obviously, other than waking up to 700 re- replies, what was the most surprising thing that in the process that, that, that you came across in, in working with the people that, that, that were wanting to get involved? Um, was there anything really that, that sort of surprised you, or was it sort of, you know, uh... sort of... Was it, or was it more of a case of just sort of um, having that, that that faith in your colleagues sort of um, proven in, in such a an yeah? Way? I'm, I mean, I am such a glass of half full. I really do believe in the good in humanity, but it was an absolute joy to see the goodness in humanity come out repeatedly again and again through pandemic kindness and um, the things that people sent us and the great resources and the sharing around the world, you know, innovation around the world. They would send us resources. You know, the the Nightingale. Um, hospital, that giant one that was set up um, like an intensive care or, you know, it was a pretty horrendous setup for Perfits in London. So the wellbeing leads from there, share their entire um, education program, all their resources for us if we needed them. So there was, ju- and we had people from New York, we just had, you know, from, um, we just had the most incredible generosity. So the connectedness, uh, so the, the extent of the connectedness surprised me and that collaboration. And, you know, that's why I said, you know, when we look at vaccine and tw- a vaccine, multiple vaccines in 12 months, yeah, yeah. I think science wins and I think humanity wins from that perspective. And that's been really joyful this year. For me, that's one of the COVID silver linings for sure. I think one of the disappointing things has been there have been absolutely multiple failures of leadership and for leading in crisis and failures of leadership, but particularly just at a basic level of communication sometimes, like stuff we should have done well where people should just be communicating and where people are, you know, emailing or asking for help or asking, you know, in multiple, this is not necessarily my hospital, it's multiple hospitals, you know, so I'm connecting around Australia and they're just not communicating well with their whole staff, you know, like their whole teams. Um, and I think that this is where we saw so many different 
some really fabulous examples of leadership last year, but also some really average leadership. And I think this is where we've got to think about what it's actually taking on a management and leadership role in healthcare and kale. And it certainly it was put under challenge last year. So I'm looking at that with an, a lot of empathy. Um, but, you know, for many years I've had, we need to train and support our leaders and we need, um, they need, you know, leadership and management training, but we need to invest in them and support them and mentor them and give them some love, you know. And, and I, I really feel like last year that was obviously a very challenging situation for everyone. And they worked really hard. So it wasn't about workload or, work, you know, how hard they worked. It was just there were some people who were very frozen and had difficulty being vulnerable or showing they didn't know sometimes. And then they just didn't have some of the basics and good communication. Just going back to your glass half full, you mentioned a moment ago around the, the collaboration, um, international collaboration element of, of what you guys were doing. Um, what were you able to do? I, I was going to ask you a little bit about the, what you know the impact here here in Australia locally. But what before we get to that, in terms of you know, the impact that you, you had for for clinicians and what you've heard back from you know, various people and what the impact was, what were you able to do um, in terms of giving back to some of those? Because you said you know you had people in in, in the UK and in New York, you know, providing resources and, and, and collaboration. What we were you able to, to help uh, in the other direction or wh- whether it was in those particular places or, or elsewhere in the world? So definitely um, there's been uh, – we've definitely had sharing and uptake of pandemic kindness earlier, actually particularly in the States, interestingly enough, in many places early on. They didn't have that. In the, uh, US. In the first half of last year, yeah, yeah. Um, because they were just drowning, remember? They got hit and no one had time. I mean – I remember talking to our HR departments early on, a couple of a couple of HR departments in Victoria, and sort of saying, you know, if what's happening in Bergamo or or New York is like, and there's you know often really stretched HR departments. If you think the HR departments in many, or certainly Victoria, you know, they're going to be telling next to him and and notifying them and getting those kind of documents of healthcare with staff that are dead or dying. You know, that's what. You know, there's sort of the difference of an impact on these small number of HR stuff. It's really stuff they hadn't confronted on mass at all. And the thing, the impact on the, the back end and non clinical stuff in, the, in many countries around the world has been astronomical as well, not just the clinicians, so it's all healthcare workers. And so um, I think being able to offer that up has been really helpful. People were able to pick and choose from the website, which I think has been really useful for because it's for all healthcare workers. It's had, um, it, we deliberately made sure that so it's not just clinicians, it was also there for non clinical staff as well yeah. and during it through the senior. And it's also got, um, later on in the year, we were able to add some um, uh, Aboriginal health worker um, uh, a tab for them as well, specific to them, which was great working with um, the team in Savatray. So, what, um, I mean, we, we, have you been sort of contacted by people sort of Telling their stories and how it actually impacted them. You, you, there must be there must be so many you know cases where you've made a, a genuine impact here. Um, what's, I what's really do think early like? on. Yeah, yeah, we had we did capture feedback and um, we did have some really really great feedback. Um, particularly, uh, I would say in that uh, that first um, sort of April to July, and then in particularly the Melbourne lockdown, yeah, the second yeah. lockdown. Yep. Um, where healthcare, so many healthcare workers were um, infected and affected. So those are the two times where um, there was 
uh, really you know, big use of pandemic kindness website. And I think that then it sort of trickled along a lot more. We haven't been changing the resources as much of late. And I think also now a lot of organisations have developed their own really site-specific um, uh, resources too, which is good, often with their own staff and videos and yeah. things, which is, I think, you know, really helpful. You mentioned, um, obviously, the, 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 the next phase for, for this movement, for this project, um, and that you've got you know, some new initiatives. Is, is there anything that you can talk about that's next in the pipeline at this stage, or is it sort of still sort of bubbling along and sort of being... <laughs> sort of uh, the uh, well, no, look, we don't have anything 100% official yet. We've just next Monday night got our handover to the Victorian team. Um, so the new uh, the government here in, in Victoria announced um, a Victorian healthcare workforce wellbeing, healthcare workforce wellbeing centre, right. and uh, that they've got like a secretary that's going to take on the maintenance of um, pandemic kindness for the next twelve months. So New South Wales has been doing it for a year, and they're going to rotate it. So uh, we, we're just going to have the next meeting and do some planning, and strategic planning around the next phases, and so uh, we'll take it from there. I think the issue is around you know what's the next phase of COVID because unlike most disasters where there's, you know, a bushfire or a flood and you've got an insult and then your population kind of has this generally predictable trajectory of recovery. This is really hard. It's global. It's affected every single person in Australia, but in different ways. Obviously, if you're in Victoria versus, say, I don't know, Broome, um, and uh, the, the implications, though, are still universal. And thinking about, um, from a healthcare worker perspective, we need to think about what, what are the needs and moving forward. So, for example, you know, one of the big things was around the impact of gratitude and um, the community thanking healthcare workers because there was a big movement um, for one hospital where that was having a big impact really positively on healthcare workers in New South Wales. And we were looking at potentially expanding that um, in about May uh, when, you know, looking at bringing that back from letters from the front, if you like, or letters to the front. Um, we ended up stopping that because many hospitals were actually doing that already. Um, and you can imagine, though, uh, many other settings that might be actually quite, could have been quite helpful to support yeah. um, and spread that kind of kindness throughout other parts of Australia or more isolated practitioners. Uh, or, you know, you can think of other settings where there's sort of people working in a bit more isolated environment. So normally this point in the podcast with <laughs> these I like to ask about sort of um, what advice um, you might have for, for any doctors listening who might want to sort of pursue a similar career I mean I guess this is a, a unique situation in terms of um, you know this movement that was set up in in response to you know a, a pandemic but I guess at the heart of it it's, it's about what you can do to um, take the ball by the horns in terms of you know making a difference for your colleagues or whatever it might be. What have you learned from this and what, what advice do you think you might have for people who might want to, um, you know, who might see a problem like you did and want to try and mobilise something and get, get you know, really, really make a, a major change in, in, in the, 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 the day-to-day lives of, in, in professional lives of their colleagues? So I think, um, you know, there's no doubt there was obviously some serendipity with this and timing is everything yeah, and sure. I obviously was very connected. But um, I, I, I do think uh, sitting yourself and knowing yourself well and, and being very clear that um, you've got uh, a good understanding of your values for sure. So you, 
really sitting tight. Like it guides me well every time now that I've you know, done that. I did that a few years ago in the Leadership Victoria Leadership Course in the summer, which was very helpful in 2016. I don't know if you've ever seen the three month process out of Harvard, but it's a, a really useful process and it just um, it, it helps guide me in decision making. And for me, um, sitting tight when there was something that needed to be done and I could see what was happening overseas. And, you know, you could see there's, this, there's actually there's, um, a lot of graphs around how people go into, um, you know, different different responses in that kind of pandemic phase. Yeah. And a lot of people went into activity, you know. They wanted to do something. And that was clearly, I was one of those. Yeah, I wanted to much, do, yeah. do a lot of that, very much wanted to do something. And so, obviously, do something that was productive and collaborative. And so, uh, for me, the other thing I wanted was to find a voice. I... I, I I'm very active with a large Twitter following now um, and I wanted to make sure that I thought the misinformation and um, the the problems with the overload of the amount of information that was coming out, but particularly for the Australian public, was really difficult. And at that stage, although the journalism and the health information dramatically improved by about May to June, in those first 12 weeks, there was a serious problem with um, the information that was coming out in the media and in social media and the distress amongst the public and push back on, you know, potential lockdowns and measures and others. And so I wanted to try and use my voice uh, and uh, and writing as best I could to try and, uh, as a healthcare practitioner, and I got a master's in public health earlier on, um, I, you know, just to lose that length. So for me, that was my sense of action. What could I do that would be constructive and align with my values that I had time for, it was purpose, um, and and then, you know, that's been really interesting because I did so much writing and I found that um, all those connections that I, I made, actually the second half of the year I was on sabbatical and it was on doctors' health and wellbeing and leadership by chance, and it meant that I got to go to, I worked on the healthcare worker task force in Victoria and did a lot of healthcare worker advocacy, advocacy and talks and did a lot of writing. I ended up doing, um, put a portfolio in and started a um professional writing, a professional writing and editing degree at RMIT and, and it has meant that I've started using my CCIM uh, hat, another yeah. little, you know, finger in a pie around writing and, yeah. and thinking around that. And that's been really great thinking about that as a uh, doctor and how I might write both from a fiction perspective but also non-fiction and professionally. So, you know, I think What's my advice? My advice is to listen to, you know, to your heart, but also obviously do it in a very strategic and clever way and use your connections and ask friends and, you know, ask your really close colleagues at work and, 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 um, and, or, or in your life and, and get their opinions of what you're doing and, and gather your tribe, always gather your tribe. I think that's some really great advice for, for, to, to, to end on. I know it's obviously it's, it's getting late in the evening too, so I, I, again, once again, I do appreciate your time um, in a very long day. Thanks so much for, for having a chat, Jay Munro. You're very welcome, and I um, just really appreciate it, and I just think if we all make sure that we try and look after ourselves a bit and really look after each other, uh, we can make sure we change healthcare culture. I think that's the way we've got to do it from now on because COVID's going to have ripple effects, but we know that healthcare is tricky, and we can definitely make a big improvement if we all work together on it. So thanks for having me on. Thank you once again to Associate Professor Jane Munro for her time. As she said, while it might not have been a surprise to have seen uh, the response that her initial post about the movement received, 
from health workers across Australia, the outpouring of support and humanity was just so inspiring to see and hopefully the start of something very much more long term because as she made clear, um, this is something that's so very much needed um, and is impacting and having a, a great, um, being a great help I should say to, to a great number of people. This has been an Embrace Creative production for Creative Careers in Medicine. Just a reminder that to find out more about Creative Careers in Medicine resources, upcoming events and membership program, just head over to creativecareersinmedicine.com. Thank you for listening once again. I'll be back with more interviews very soon.